0: Life in the fast lane. We're living life in the fast lane. Living life in the fast lane. Go and lose your brain brain. Hey, what is up, guys? This is Justice Grothausen, aka Toast, here with the Toasty Takes podcast, where we improve your mind one slice at a time, where we focus on motivation, inspiration, and mindfulness. I'm coming at you guys with an awesome episode today. I have my first truly big guest on today. His name is Charlie Smith. He's a mental performance consultant and mental performance coach. He is also the founder of My Life, My Pen and he also hosts the Overcome Out Loud podcast, which can be found on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Music. Uh, Charlie's just a great man, and he has a great message to share with you guys today. Um, so bear in mind, the audio is a little funky on my end, but I really hope you guys can listen and sit back and relax and enjoy what Charlie has to share, all his uh, knowledge and wisdom. Got an awesome episode here for you guys today. Um, We welcome Charlie Smith to the show, Toasty Takes Podcast. Charlie, how's it going today?
1: It's great. Thank you, Justice. Good to be with you, man.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, we were just talking a little bit ago about our technical difficulties here and Sometimes and for me in life, it feels like whenever you want something to work really bad, you always got to try and to jump through hoops to get it. But we're still going to record. We're still going to get an awesome episode out for the listeners of this podcast. And I'm super grateful and excited to have you on the show.
1: Yeah, that's the that's the main thing is you know progress, not perfection. And we said we said we put this out today, and we figured out a way to do it. And that's what's important, my man.
0: Yes, yes, sir. So, um, I kind of started following you about a year ago on social media. Um. I'm sure you know Chris Worth, Christopher Worth, uh, author, author of the Positivity Tribe. I'm also pretty close with him. And I'm, that's kind of how I got connected to your page. Uh, reached out. You were awesome enough to send me a pen and a letter uh, in the mail, uh, which I thought was super thoughtful. And, you know, go above and, go, going above and beyond what you have to do for people. But for those people who listen to this show who and who don't know who you are, could you maybe give them a little background story about, uh, well, your life story that you always uh, preach and share on Instagram, My Life, My Pen. Yeah, for
1: sure. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to do that. So there's really a couple of parts to my story. There's, there's kind of the origin story, which is, you know, the way I grew up. I grew up in a small town in Scarborough, Maine, middle class family. My my dad was a college professor. My mom was a first grade school teacher, cover a Catholic Digest magazine in 1970, um, and that was, but that was not the reality of the way I grew up, you know, from the age of six until the age of about 19, I was violently abused at the hands of my dad, the age of 19, he had a 45 caliber pistol level at my head. And I left Scarborough Maine at 19 and never returned. I was on my own from that age. And you know, I don't tell you that and I don't tell your listeners that for sympathy or, or effect or because I'm a victim. I share that because it's the truth. And for most of my life, I wanted to deny that that was the truth. And it is my firm belief that what we don't deal with deals with us. And So I left Scarborough to chase you know material wealth and material success at the expense of my own self-worth because I thought if I could achieve material success and professional success in my life and, and wealth that it would prove that what happened to me when I was younger, you know, didn't happen and that this would prove that I was okay. And, you know, the, 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 the destination disease, that idea that somehow we can get our worth from external things is, is a lost journey. Uh, It was lost on me. And so, you know, when I'm stuffing things or when anybody is stuffing things and then living out of alignment with who they really are, you know, for me, anyways, I ended up turning to drugs and alcohol at my first drink at the age of 12 by the age of 42, justice, I was a full-blown alcoholic and drug addict. Oh, wow. while, while, while achieving all of that material success, I had set out to achieve. In, 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 by 2006, I was one of the most active retail developers in the state of California, you know, well battling substance abuse. 2008, you know, and I'll, I'll wrap up my origin story with this, you know, I, I, I realized in 2008 that I had given the pen to the story of my life to everybody else. I realized that I'd given the pen to the story of who I wanted to be to my dad. I gave it to the bullies at school. I gave it to the teachers that put me in special ed. Everybody who said I was never, I would never amount to anything was writing on the pages of my life. And I decided in 2008, you know, when I kind of had a at my darkest moment is when I took the pen back. And really, I credit that kind of um, narrative, that kind of story, that kind of uh, identity with really what changed my life is when I, you know, I, I, I had that image of taking the pen back and deciding, hey, look. want to change who you are you got to change what you're writing on these pages and you better become the intentional author of your life and that's where my life my pen came from was really born out of that uh identity of of and that kind of moniker of taking the pen back to my life and creating a a new life which you know has led me into transitioning from developing shopping centers and commercial real estate projects to developing people and organizations through training, mental performance skills, personal development applications and, and giving everybody and empowering them to own the pen to their own story, my man, which is oh, hey. why you got one.
0: Yeah. Hey, that's awesome. And like so I know we have the video on. You can't see me right now, but like I'm just sitting here in like shock. Like I, I didn't know your full story like that. And um, like, wow, is all I have to say, like that you overcame that stuff that shows awesome strength and perseverance on your part. And I also think it's like the most awesome human beings that I've met in my life, at least, seem to just like be forged from like that struggle that, you know, stuff they had to persevere and fight through. And I really think the questions that I ask on the show today that I ask you, like, I think you're having some awesome answers for. But before we get into those, I was kind of thinking while you were talking there. So you talked about um, back in, was it 2006? In the 2000s, you kind of had everything at your fingertips, correct? Correct.
1: Yeah, it's a it's it's a it's a great observation. I really did to the outside outside world. I had houseboats on Lake Mead. I had you know a big house, I had a wife, I had two kids, drove, you know, we had three cars in the driveway, you know, and I was I was at the top, I was at the top of the world in terms of my commercial real estate career. Um, but but you know, like I said, it was at the expense of my self-worth. And and so, you know, one of the pillars of the pen is I, I always talk about justices you know, who are you going to be, who do you become on the way to pursuing your goals? You know, you know, who you become on the way to, to achieving your goals is as important as achieving your goals. And I'd become a very empty, shallow human being in pursuit of those goals. Cause I really wasn't or understood, you know, how to live out of principle instead of preference. So to answer your question, you know, to the outside world I did, and I could pass a lot of, I could pass a lot of tests at that point in my life. I could pass the bank account test. I could pass the career test. I could pass the family test. I could pass the car test, but I couldn't pass the look in the mirror test. And, and for me, my my friends, that is the most important test that any human being ever has to pass.
0: Oh, I wholeheartedly 1000% agree with that. I'm actually when you just said that the man in the mirror test, I was thinking back to a previous episode that Brian Kane had put on his on his podcast. And he talks about Like you can fool everyone else in the world, but like when you look in the mirror, you can't fool the man in the mirror. So whatever choices, whatever stuff that you've decided in life, you can fool everyone else, but you can't fool him. And I like to propose that to my listeners because like as I told you earlier uh, through message that I have a lot of young kids and um, primarily high school students in the area that I teach that mainly listen to this podcast. And I think it's really important to hear that from you that you can have – seem like to the outside world you can have all these things at your fingertips but if you're not passing the test in the mirror like is it really worth it so like you know people try and find worth in material things or things outside their control instead of actually getting to the root of the problem which it sounds like you did later down the road when you started with your uh, my life my pen
1: yeah it's and, and and to that audience you know they need to own their pen and, and look the mirror knows the golf ball knows, the baseball knows, the volleyball knows, you know, if you're not putting in the work, if you're not really getting the mental reps in the physical reps in, if you're not being a good teammate, if you're not being selfless, if you're not doing all the things that you need to do to prepare, to be at your best when it means the most, you know, you internally, we watch ourselves, right? So if we're, if we're going home and playing video games, you know, and, and we're supposed to be getting reps in the batting cage, and then we expect to have a good performance, you know, on Thursday night, um, our, our, we know, we watch ourselves, you know, our self-image is is probably, you know, in, in Lanny Basham's book, With Winning in Mind, he talks about our conscious mind, what we say, think, and do, our subconscious mind, which observes and keeps track of and records our experiences, and then our self-image, what we, t- what we think about ourselves, and I think that's, you know, the missing piece for me, right? That that can't look in the mirror test and that self-image, that disconnection between what I call the two dials of of ultimate optimal performance, which is our beliefs, what we believe, and our behaviors, how we behave. When those two things are in alignment, we can generate results.
0: Awesome. Yes. I love that way of thinking. And I really think that's a very valuable way for especially for anyone to think, but also like younger students or athletes that are in high school because. We talk about, I talk about this a lot because as you know, I'm a coach and a teacher, but like, don't expect outcomes you didn't prepare for. Like, and I think that especially in the world we live in today, like, and not to like rip on the world, but like instant gratification is a real thing. Like people want it done right. And they want it done now. And like, they want all of the success without the work. So, um, yeah, I really like that answer. Um, I'd like to get into one of my questions with you, if that's all right one of the toasty take big three. Is that, that good?
1: Oh, go and absolutely. My awesome. Friend.
0: So this is a big one for me. So there's, I read a book called the twin thieves. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, it's by Steve Jones and uh, yeah, it's by Steve Jones primarily, but um, he talks about two things in life that hold people back. It's the fear of failure is the big one for me. And I wanted to kind of ask you, what is your relationship with failure? So How do you approach the fear of being judged or the fear of failing at something? Because as a teacher and a coach, and especially teaching young athletes or coaching athletes, I see that like, you know, the fear of striking out holds a lot of kids back. The fear of messing up in front of their friends, the fear of raising their hand in class and maybe getting a question wrong. So if you had any advice for those kids, for people in general, and maybe kind of elaborate on your relationship with failure, uh, how would you like to explain that?
1: Uh, Boy, I mean, it's a powerful question. It's an important, it's an important question. Fear of failure has killed more dreams than action ever has. You know, what will they think? Um, What will they say? You know, those are, those are the two dream killers. And, and what I'll tell you, my relationship with failure is failure is feedback. You know, my framework about failure is that failure is not personal. So let's take those two things. You're talking to somebody who has had a tremendous amount of failures in his life. So, I have failed, I've had failures in my relationships. I failed my family miserably when I was in active alcoholism and addiction. Um, I have failed a lot. And it is the reason that I am here today is because I'd use that failure as feedback and I made those mistakes old. Make them old by owning them. I did what I did. I'm not gonna deny it. I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. I'm not gonna talk myself around it. I learned from it and then I don't do it again. So O is own it, L is learn from it. D is I, I don't do that again. But failure, justice, and, and for anybody listening, you know, we, we, we get brought up in this era of failure is not an option. Well, mm-hmm. that's just plain flat out wrong. Not only is failure an option, failure is required in order to improve. Failure is the path to growth. Failure is the way that we learn. And failure is the way that we actually get better. So I seek out challenges. You know, you talk about Brian Kane. guy mm-hmm. calls me up and says, hey, we're going to do a 62 mile hike, Magolan Rim in Payson, Arizona. You in? you know i said yeah sure i'm in let's see what i got you know i ended up doing about 42 miles in 26 26 hours um, because i wanted to see what i what i had in my tank you know did i view myself as a failure cuz i didn't finish it no i viewed myself as an, as an incredibly courageous person because i because i tried it you know and so the founder of ibm james watson has a great quote which i'll I'll leave with you on this question which is if you want to improve your chances of success, double your rate of failure.
0: Oh, I love that quote. And I, I always like to talk about with my students and athletes, kind of that idea that premise that if you look, let's take anyone they look up to, whether it's a famous athlete, a entrepreneur, a musician, anyone like that. I always tell them like, you know, they've probably failed more in their life than they've succeeded, but everyone remembers the success. You know, no one's going to remember those failures but you do because you know how much hard work it took how much failure it took for you to get to be able to uh, have those successes in your life.
1: Well, yeah which is which is why I want to encourage your, your listeners to to embrace the opportunity to fail and grow the opportunity to learn and, and to, to really reframe their relationship with failure as, as a path to get better. I, you know, I'll say to a high school baseball player, a division one college baseball player, if you don't want to fail, then go play rec ball, go play intramurals. There's lots of places you don't have to fail, um, at the level that you fail, but our, but, but in order for us to achieve more, we have to do more. And for order for us to do more, we have to become more. And what I mean by become more is, is train our minds to change that relationship with failure as just an opportunity to learn and grow. Did I learn and grow today? The other thing I'll say, if you don't mind, it, and it's a, yeah. probably the most important, is failure is not personal. Failure is a verb, not a noun. It's not who you are. It's what happened. Mm. So when we don't personalize failure, because I failed doesn't mean I'm a failure. Because I failed means that I'm the guy that's willing to try to do again. And that's really, I won't get into self-confidence and, and go down <laughs> a hole on that, but that's really what confidence is about. It's just trusting yourself to try, trusting yourself to fail. Trusting yourself to learn and grow and trusting yourself to try again. You want unshakable self-confidence, trust yourself to do those four things.
0: Awesome, brother. I love that. And I was just thinking there, like, and I'll leave it at this and I'll bring up the next question. But I think these days, especially when we talk about sports, everyone's so focused on the outcome that they tie their self-worth into the outcome. So if that scoreboard isn't a score that they like, They take it personally and think it's a reflection of them as a person. When all reality, it's not. You just didn't play well enough to win. You ran out of time. And I think a lot of young people struggle with that. So I agree, like changing that relationship with that idea of failure, you know, I think that falls on athletes. I think that falls on coaches. I think it falls on parents. I think it falls on everyone to try and instill that in the younger generation. So that's just my opinion. But I think we're on the same page as that.
1: It's proven out by science. If you listen to or read Carol DeWitt's book on a growth mindset, the most successful people, the highest achievers are those that were rewarded for effort, not for for labels. So we tell somebody they're a good athlete. We tell them that they're really smart. They try to protect that identity because it becomes personal to them versus you worked really hard. You put in a lot of effort. You're a hard worker. That's why what you're doing is so important. And so I, I just think we should reward effort more than we should reward outcomes.
0: Absolutely. 1000% agree. So going off of the relationship with failure, let's go into the next question we like to ask here. It's um, now you can go back to any point in your life. It could be two months ago. It could be 20 years ago, whatever you want to pick. But I like to ask, what do you know now that you wish you knew then? So something, you know, now at this current day in your life that you wish you knew however many years, weeks, months, days ago.
1: Um, I think you know if I went back
0: anywhere in my life
1: I would want to share that here and, and and it's one of my favorite sayings that I that I that I have on the wall behind me in my office it's here is on the way there charlie what you're going through right now whatever it is that you're going through right now breakup, poor performance in 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 a in a, in a sports, sporting event poor performance on an exam here is on the way there and, and we're never defined, and, and I say that because we're never defined by the things that happen to us in life. We're defined by the meaning we give them. And I think we all have, you you said this, I think, pretty eloquently about this idea that instant gratification has become prevalent. I mean, and, and it's not just instant gratification. It's just instant living. I mean, we want a movie, we get it now. We want a food, we get it now. We want a car ride, we get it now. I mean, we really have become accustomed to clicking our way through through life, but getting a ride eating something, watching a movie is not a, is not a human performance activity. And so what I, what I, what I want to share regularly is that, that here is on the way there that what you're going through right now is on the way to the next thing. And the next thing is going to be great.
0: You know, that's awesome. And I'm going to get a little personal here. I haven't shared this with very many people, but the last five days have been super duper tough for me. I've, kind of had some hiccups with my job and such and I'll leave it at that but I like so I'm just gonna tell you like I really need to hear that today so like the tough stuff I'm going through right now I think this is just an awesome reminder for me that you know hard times don't last like bad storms don't last you got to persevere through them like you said here's on the way there I don't know where there is for me but after hearing that I just know that if I continue to persevere continue to you know, put forward that effort that I'm going to be happy with wherever I end up.
1: Amen to that. And, and, and you use the term forged. I mean, you think about a samurai sword, right? They, they put it into the fire, right? Fire can burn you and make you stronger. And the fire is the flames of our lives, you know, can forge us into that steel that we need to be for the next event in our lives.
0: Awesome. Well, I'm going to dive into the last question here, just because Uh, Some of you guys don't know, I'm actually recording this podcast with Charlie during my lunch at school today. Um, So I got about eight minutes left, but I want to get his take on one more thing here. And then I'll ask you a few final questions. We'll go our separate ways and put this out there for people. But um, the last question i like to ask here, and this is a really personal one, it might... Take, make you think a little bit. So that's fine if you got to take a minute or two. But it's when you leave this earth someday, what would a successful life look like to you? And I always preface with my guests. I'll give my input a little bit. So it gives you a little minute to think. But for me, the way I look at this is when I die someday and I have a funeral, if I have like a very big funeral, like there's a lot of people that attend, that in turn shows me that I affected that many lives and had a positive influence in some way, shape or form on those people that attend. So that's how I would view a successful life for me. I'm looking down someday. I have a lot of people at my funeral. Like i I know I did some good in the world.
1: Yeah. That's so powerful. Um, you know, I, I, it's a great, it's a great question. And, and I think success is best described as the pursuit of a worthy goal. You know, if your worthy goal is teaching, if your worthy goal is coaching, if your worthy goal is investing or, you know, whatever whatever your goal is for life, the pursuit of a, a worthy goal is successful. And I will just I'll, I'll say that for me, you know, the most important thing for me a successful life for, for me is that if my my children and my wife are proud of me for the impact that I made in their lives. You know, at the end of the day, you know, those are the people that are counting on me to be at my best and to be there for them when they need me. And so my family is is proud of me and that they they feel like I was there for them when they needed me. I I will have been a success.
0: Awesome. That like that's such a great answer and like I know that everyone answer everyone's answer is going to be different and that's a good thing, but I really so I like to ask that question too because a it helps me you know kind of connect with the person I'm talking to and get a look into their life and their values what's important to them, but b it also makes me think and if you're listening out there like if you don't have a statement or idea of something like that in your life that you're striving for, I think you need to physically write it down or start to come up with something because, you know, if you, at least I found in my life, if I don't have like a purpose or something I'm striving for, my life feels like pretty meaningless. And I've had points in life where I'm like, why am I doing what I'm doing? But, you know, it's like having a purpose, having a mission statement or just a, you know, how will I know if I was successful in life? What's important to me? I think that's very powerful for people.
1: Yeah, it is. And, and, you know, we do need a purpose and we do need to, you know, the, the, the idea of a, of a why, you know, because with a big enough why we can handle any how famous philosopher Nietzsche said, said that so wisely. And, you know, everybody, there's a reason we do everything that we're doing. And for me, I lived without purpose, for a long time. I mean, I, you know, my purpose was to accumulate wealth and, and, and to show people that I was, you know, something that I wasn't. And and today that's, you know, and, 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 and there wasn't, a, there wasn't, I couldn't have said my family was proud of me. Um, those behaviors, you know, essentially cost me my family at one point.
0: Okay. So we got about five minutes left here. I kind of just wanted to ask you a quick question. So I know we talked about that you're a mental performance coach, and I dove into the mental performance stuff about two years ago when I discovered Brian Kane. Uh, I think that's a lot of people's story because he's such a big influence in that sphere now. Um, I kind of just wanted to ask you, uh, how's that going for you? Like, what are you doing now? I see you're speaking some. I see you're working with more teams. Like, How has your journey been um, when you decided to become a mental performance coach?
1: Uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's like anything it's I cast a wide net to start, you know, I believe the I believe the principles are universal. They apply to everything. I've kind of, you know, had to find my way on the business side of creating a business around teaching mental performance. And so, you know, I've I've reached out to the, the relationships that I have and and have it, the answer to your question is it's been going amazing. I work with um, I've worked with professional athletes. I've worked with several division one uh, college programs with their athletic department. I've worked specifically with some teams, but and, but now what I'm doing is I've realized you know that that the business world that I come from lacks mental performance skills as well, and so I put a frame my framework together, and I now I'm now installing mental performance coaching skills and training uh, corporate sales teams, leadership teams on the mental performance application that I've learned. So you know, really, I, I mean. Any, anybody who's looking to perform at their best when it means the most, you know, overcome ab- obstacles uh, and perform consistently is a, is, a, is a potential client of mine. But, you know, you can do anything, you just can't do everything. So I've realized that, you know, given my background in business and given my background in commercial real estate and development, that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of gravitating towards doing a lot of speaking and coaching and training in that area and then continuing to work with athletes.
0: Well, no, I love that too. And it kind of sounds like you found your, uh, your niche per se. So like your area specialty. And I don't think, you know, a lot of people sometimes think about that when we talk about like being mentally strong, you know, we think about sports right away, but just when you were talking there about, you know, talking to business people or entrepreneurs, like I was just thinking like, dang, like teachers could use that too, because God knows we're stressed on a daily basis and we have to be able to improvise and deal with whatever comes our way. So, I just found that very interesting.
1: yeah, it's a, you know I mean my definition of mental performance is simply the development and application of a set of principles, process, strategies that allow you to overcome obstacles, remain positive, and perform consistently. So you know you, you know I, I'll just we'll, we'll wrap up, but you know you say to a guy who's, who's, who's a commissioned salesperson for a brokerage team leads a brokerage team, you know, you want confidence, you want resilience, you want adversity tolerance, you want self-awareness, you want good solid healthy routines and habits, you want leadership and the right culture. What are you doing to train that stuff in your organization? And, and most of them just don't have a plan to train that stuff, which is what we can provide.
0: Well, awesome. Uh, I'd just like to thank you again for coming on the show. I know we had a little technical difficulty. We powered through. It was a little shorter than I would have hoped, but it was meaningful. And I'm sure there's a lot of nuggets of information in here. Nonetheless, uh, where can uh, my audience members or anyone that listens to this podcast find?
1: Yeah, I'm most active on Instagram at Charlie Smith Speaks. My email address is Charlie at Charlie oh, okay. If any of your listeners want me to send them their pen, they can email me their address um, and we will get one of those out to them. Um, and charliesmithspeaks.com is my, uh, my website.
0: Awesome. I'll make the, sh- I'll make sure to put that in the show notes too. But, uh, Charlie, again, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for supporting me. I know I don't have the biggest audience, but I truly, truly appreciate you coming on today.
1: Yeah. We just, we just want to, we just want to help who's ever listened to my man. The, 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 the size of the pond is irrelevant.
0: I agree. If it, if it impacts one person, it's enough for me.
1: You got it, man. Have a great rest of your day, and and thanks for chopping this up with me, Justice.
0: So, that's all we got for Toasty Takes today, guys. I really hope you enjoyed the message. Once again, sorry for the audio. I'm going to try and figure it out on my end next time, but that's all we have today for Toasty Takes. Go out, do something positive, and go be great. Peace out. Love y'all.